Good evening. This is Lehigh Valley Discourse, and you are listening to Teen Money Matters. I'm your host, Jaydeth Ikathari. Teens have enough to think about with growing up, such as societal pressures from peers, parents, family, and more. So how can young people set themselves up for financial success? This program will explore ways to save, budget, and understand the importance of managing money for the future, including interviews with fellow teens and insight from local experts in the financial world. Tonight, we feature teen guest Advan Raja from Parkland High School. Hey, Advan, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. So before we start off, could you just tell us a bit more about you in terms of your interests, hobbies, future plans, and anything else? Yeah. Hey, guys. I'm a junior at Parkland High School. I'm interested in computer science and engineering. Some of my hobbies include playing basketball. And some things I do outside of school is I'm an Eagle Scout for a local troop, Boy Scout Troop 12, and I'm also a member of my school's Science Olympiad team. And in the future, I like to go to college and study computer science. Great. Before we get started with the questions with you, I'll just go over a few terminology of real estate and introduce it to our audience for today. So let's just first start off with the definition of real estate. So by definition, real estate is considered real property that includes land and anything that's permanently attached to it or built on it, whether it be natural or man-made. However, when looking at the financial aspect of real estate, we tend to focus on buying and leasing properties and flipping properties, which we'll talk about later. So we mostly focus on real estate as an investment. There's many different types of real estate, two of the most common being residential and commercial. So residential is any property that's used for residential purposes, including condos, single family homes, townhouses, duplexes, and multifamily residences. And commercial properties are properties that are used for business purposes. And these include gas stations, grocery stores, hotels, offices, parking facilities, restaurants, stores, and theaters. And the main difference between these two main types of properties are the purpose that they serve. So residential serves a purpose to build houses for people as their primary residence, and commercial is more for profitable businesses, stores and restaurants, and gas stations, so they can profit off from their real estate business. So now there's also other types of real estate, including industrial, which is used for manufacturing, production, distribution, storage, and research and development. And these include factories and any manufacturing facilities. There's also raw land, which is any property that is vacant, undeveloped, or in agricultural land. And there's also special use, which is property that's used by the public and the government. And these include schools, government buildings, libraries, parks, places of worship, and cemeteries. So why do we talk about real estate in the financial world? Well, real estate can be served as a valuable source of investment to many people. So with real estate, you can either buy and hold the asset or generate income through short-term rentals, long-term rentals, or vacation rentals. And we've seen that through many different things, including many websites that are becoming popular right now, like Verbo and Airbnb. Another way you can get a profit off real estate as an investment is by flipping property. So you can add value to a property after buying it and then sell it for a higher price than what you bought it for. And this is another common investment strategy. So now I'll start off with the questions that we have for you today, Audubon. So in simple terms, how would you describe what real estate is and what does it mean to you? Yeah, so in my opinion, real estate, it's a pretty broad definition. As you were talking about earlier, there's a lot of different types of real estate and you can describe many different things from your average single family home to apartments, Airbnbs, and brick and mortar businesses. 
But what I think is really interesting about all of these is that in each of these different types of real estate, real estate has its own role and has a different purpose to the person who owns that piece of land or real estate. And often, like, say, for a apartment, the person owning the home is making a profit off of the real estate, but the real estate is also providing a place to live for the person who's renting out the apartment. Yeah, so in my own life, as you guys probably expect, I don't really own any real estate, and the most I'm really involved in is living in my parents' house. But in the future, I'm expecting real estate to play a pretty important part of my life, as from what I've seen, what I've learned, real estate's extremely crucial for managing your personal finance well. Yeah, definitely. And I really agree with the point that you said real estate can mean different things to other people, right? So some people, their real estate business might be to buy properties that are at low price and sell them in the future, just buy and hold asset. Other people might flip the property and then sell it at a higher price than what they initially bought it for. So yeah, it definitely varies from person to person, but it is a really broad definition, as you said. So how do you think real estate decisions like buying or renting a home can impact a person's overall financial situation? Yeah, I think the main way that real estate decisions impact someone's like financial responsibilities is just through the budgeting that you have to do when you go into buying a piece of real estate. From typical budgeting, you usually go by monthly or for the year and just go maybe week by week or the amount of money you want to save, expend and how much money you're making per month. But with real estate, just the long period of time that usually like the average 10 to 30 years that you're paying off a piece of real estate, it really affects how you have to manage and budget it as the long time frame introduces a bunch of different variables like your job security, if you're even going to have this job in the next 10, 30 years, some expected raises you'd have from the job every year some future family plans you might want to involve. And then just for the house itself, you have to manage the property taxes that you'll have to pay every year and repairs that need to be done in case of any weather or other forms of damage. Yeah, definitely. And I agree with the fact that people have to budget and save a lot of money before having to you know, go into that situation of buying their first home, which is considered a milestone, one of the greatest milestones by many. And for the young adults and teenagers watching, uh, listening to this today, we really encourage you to start saving money as soon as possible and budget that money. If you have the goal of buying a house later in your life, maybe save it a bit by bit every single month, every single year, and hopefully you can get closer to that goal. If someone were to include real estate in their financial plan, how do you think it might differ when budgeting for other expenses, such as groceries or cars or anything of that nature? For things like groceries and cars, it's often a pretty simple, like you're just paying for it and you get a service back from it. Like with food, you pay for your food and you're able to get your nourishment for the week or whatever, however much food you buy. But with something like real estate, there's a lot more that goes into it and say you're paying a certain amount per month for it. Only after that huge, like 30 years period of time, are you able to really derive value from it without having to continue paying for it? With something like a grocery, you buy it once and you have it and you're able to use the service. But while paying your mortgage off, it can often be a really long time until you're finally done paying for it and you can fully take advantage of the service you get from it. Uh, but there's often other things that people do, such as renting out houses that they buy. And with this, people can often weigh out costs that involve your house's mortgage with the amount of m money they receive from income. And by managing all this well, you're able to really have a strong 
financial situation. Yeah, definitely. And one thing I do want to get back onto was when you mentioned that there's many different variables involved in actually, you know, involving or committing yourself to real estate, because one of the most important things that some of the young adults or teenagers might not realize is that unlike groceries or other short term things that you buy, where you just consume the product as soon as you get it, with houses, it's a whole different ballpark. You have to consider whether the home value is going to go up in the future. You have to consider your mortgage. You have to consider refinancing your interest. And if you get loans, you have to pay interest on top of that loan. So there's many different factors that contribute to real estate. And you kind of just have to wait your turn to optimize whatever you can and pick the right time to go into that. Now, from a financial standpoint, what are your thoughts on renting versus owning a house? And are there any specific advantages or disadvantages you see uh, with both? Yeah, so in my opinion, I think renting is extremely beneficial for people who just need temporary living spaces or it's a short-term kind of thing or it's a new area that you're looking into. I think renting is a great option for people like that as typically the average rent you're going to pay for a month for a place that you're looking into is going to be cheaper than the mortgage you'll pay for a month for a house that you'd want to buy. And you also don't even have to worry about a down payment as you're not really taking out any loan. But some of the cons of renting out an apartment is that you're not really working toward a goal or anything. When you're owning a house, you you'll ha- you have that goal. And it's almost like a psychological thing of you have that goal of paying off your house. And it's something that you can work toward. And once you do pay it off, you have a really valuable asset. But with something like an apartment, you're just forced to basically pay rent to get the service of living there. And there's nothing really you get out in the end once you stop living there and move it anywhere else. So I think that's why it's really important to use apartments and other things as something that's more short term, while houses can be extremely beneficial and provide much more value in the long term. Personally, I've experienced this uh, with my family as well. And until I was in in elementary school, my family rented a house. And then eventually, uh, after short term rental, we were able to buy a house. And we really did see both the benefits of renting versus housing. So with, with renting, we had we were, we were able to not take out a loan and we were able to pay that money forward and able to afford it really easily compared to a house. But with the house, we also had that sense of ownership that with a house, which is really valuable right now, and many Americans do realize the value of that, which can often take into consideration whether they want to buy a house or not. So there's many different things. As you mentioned, there's also psychological things that play into this. So it's many different it's different for every single person out there so that's really important to consider as well when thinking about your financial goals personal financial goals do you envision real estate playing a role and i know you mentioned this in the beginning so if you were to describe more why or why not do you think this would really help you basically just thinking about the typical average person going to college and then one of the main goals that many people have is just owning their own house And I think that's a goal shared by a lot and shared by myself. And I think owning a house is something I would like to do in the future. But not only that, some other types of real estate that could be interesting that I haven't delved deep into right now are like renting out homes and Airbnbs and other things. As I think right now, especially these types of things are becoming even more popular and many more people are using them to gain extra income or almost a side hustle of sorts to gain extra income. Just to end off today, in your opinion, how might changes in real estate, like 
housing projects or new developments in the community affect the local surrounding areas of a neighborhood. So how, how do you think that real estate changes could affect the social aspect of a community? Yeah, I think new communities like developing uh, neighborhoods and other similar types are pretty beneficial to the area around it. You can often see small businesses and other similar types grow around neighborhoods as these small business people owning these small businesses prefer to have it closer to where they live as it just makes everything much easier for them. And so there's just almost an increased amount of economic growth around this area. And often the property values often also increase when there's more neighborhoods, as more people move into these neighborhoods, the houses there usually tend to be worth more. So for people already living there, it can be extremely beneficial. But then there's also a couple of downsides for like over expansion of neighborhoods and other things as there's mismanagement in like traffic planning, which can cause increased traffic, which can hurt people's on their way to work or something, slow everything down. But in the end, it usually has a pretty beneficial impact. Thank you so much for this conversation today. Uh, I really enjoyed having you on. Yeah, thank you guys for having me on. We are going to take a short break. You are listening to Teen Money Matters with our guest, Adhavan Raja. And we are talking about the basic concepts of real estate. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. For program support on WDIY, we thank ASAP Mailing of the Lehigh Valley, a locally owned and operated mailing and fulfillment company offering marketing and production solutions for your custom mail piece, taking your marketing project from idea to delivery, creating a program that meets your mailing, marketing, and fulfillment requirements. For more information, 484-285-0204 or asapmailing.com. Welcome back to Teen Money Matters. We are talking about real estate with our guest, Dr. McKay Price. Before we went to break, we were speaking with the teenage perspective behind real estate with Advan Raja from Pragland High School. Now we will be talking to Dr. McKay Price, who is a professor and Collins Goodman Chair in Real Estate Finance at Lehigh University. Hello, Dr. Price. Hello. Before we begin, could you just tell us a bit more about you and the work you do as a professor at Lehigh University? So as you mentioned, I'm at Lehigh University now, where I'm the director of the Goodman Center for Real Estate and a faculty member in the Department of Finance. I've been at Lehigh since 2010, so this summer will mark 14 years here at Lehigh. And uh, prior to that, I was a doctoral student at Florida State University studying finance. If I go back before that, I developed real estate for Target Corporation. I had another stint in graduate school at MIT uh, studying real estate, and I did commercial real estate brokerage. Prior to that, I was a, a finance undergraduate student at the University of Utah. Awesome. So let's dive right into it. So how would you characterize the current landscape of real estate financing, considering factors like interest rates and market trends? In one word, I'd say it's tough. Right. It's tough because interest rates have gone up quite a bit in the last, uh, let's say, two years, really. And, and immediately prior to the, that two-year window, interest rates were very low, like ridiculously low. But the problem is it doesn't take long for us to get used to it being really low. And so now, by comparison to those historically low interest rates, we feel like interest rates are super high and it makes financing costs difficult whether it's for buying your own home or for buying an investment property, it's tough that way. Yeah, and I've definitely seen this within my life as well. I've heard 
my parents, other adults, family, friends talking about this all the time. And I've always heard how inflation and interest rates have gone up. And this has caused many different changes within not just real estate, but other industries as well. So it's definitely been hard on many people. I've heard, I've seen and watched the news about many different stories. And uh, it's definitely getting harder for people out there. So how have you observed trends in real estate investment evolving, especially considering economic shifts worldwide and global events? As far as the evolution, my understanding is that the, the listenership to this particular program is fairly young, right? It's it's geared towards teens. Yeah. And so in that sense, it's hard to have a long run, big picture perspective. I mentioned going back a couple of years ago when interest rates were historically low, but in terms of trends, right? The long, long-term trend has been that interest rates have come down. And when I say they've come down, they've come way down. So if you go back in the early, mid-1980s, interest rates were very, very high relative to today's interest rates. We're talking about the average 30-year fixed-rate mortgage somewhere in the mid-18s, so somewhere between 18 and 19%. And then interest rates came down throughout the 1980s and then again into the 1990s, just continued to follow this long-term downward trend, occasionally popping up a little bit here or there, but generally going down. And then that continued into the 2000s. Then we had the global financial crisis, caused economies to tank, and interest rates went down even further to where we got into the 20-teens. And we have interest rates of three, four percent. And these are very, very low interest rates. But like I mentioned before, it doesn't take long to get used to those. So now we feel like interest rates are really high when, even though I'm not that old, when I first got married, interest rates were higher then than they are today. And after about a year of marriage, I said to my wife, boy, we really should be buying a house because interest rates have come down to like 7%. This is incredible. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) And of course, today we're saying 7%. This is terrible. Yeah. So it definitely changes as you move on, like in time, just taking the perspective before a few years can really impact your like psychological mindset of how much is a lot considering previous shifts as well. So with respect to global events, so interest rates having popped up more recently, right? This is, this is directly tied to the circumstances that we faced a couple of years ago with COVID, and there are a lot of economic ramifications uh, associated therewith, and with prices going up, and the the Federal Reserve feeling that they needed to raise interest rates in order to try and tame inflation, which, by the way, historical trivia, the reason why interest rates were so high back in the 1980s, and I I would say 70s and, and 80s, is because of our previous bout with serious inflation. Oh, yeah. That's really interesting because we've seen like inflation comparatively from the previous time really rise up today. So maybe in the future, it could also change other things uh, such as interest rate. So when it comes to investment properties, there's many different financing options. So what advice would you give to someone considering financing an investment property? And how does that differ from financing a primary residence? While there are some commonalities in terms of financing investment properties versus investing a home that you plan to occupy as an owner and live in as your primary residence, 
there are also some substantial differences. If you're going to go buy a home, uh, you need to save up some money. You will apply for the mortgage and they will the lender will look at you and they will ask you for information about you. You know, they, they'll want to see that you have steady income. They'll make you show them pay stubs or tax returns to, to verify that income. They'll want to make sure that you have enough down payment, um, enough money set aside or saved up for a down payment. And they'll ask for bank statements to verify that. They will look at your credit score and see how good of a financial steward you are with your own money. Do you have a history of being responsible? Right? And so they're going to look at those types of things. When it comes to obtaining a loan or mortgage for investment property, things are a little bit different. They're still going to look at you, but they're going to look even closer at the property itself. They're going to look at specifically the income stream associated with that property. Now, the reason for this is if you're a homeowner, right? This is this is your primary residence. Yeah, yeah. Your income is the thing that will service the debt, right? That's the source of money that's going to pay the mortgage payments each and every month going forward. So they care a whole lot about your personal income. But when you buy an investment property, it's not necessarily your personal income that's going to be servicing the debt. It's the income that the property can generate that is going to be used to make those mortgage payments. So the lender is going to look very closely at the property's income generating ability, especially as you get bigger into the large scale, you know, many millions of dollars type of properties, right? The office buildings and the industrial complexes and apartment complexes and things of that sort. Now, I'd just like to move on to talking about how many people today in today's world, they're considering investing in real estate. And we've seen, especially with the younger generation, there's been like many social media factors have influenced them to see real estate as a very profitable business. So what advice would you give to young adults and current teenagers if they want to invest in real estate in the future? Yeah, I, I'm glad you said in the future, because if if you are a teenager, this is, this is not easily accomplished yeah. for the most part. There there are some exceptions to that, but it's it's not something that most teenagers are in a position to do, because I guess this could tie into your previous question with respect to advice. You know, a large part of that advice would be start setting some money aside, right? You are yeah. going to need to make a down payment. Residentially, that could be anywhere from say three, four, five, maybe 10% or, or more if you have more, right? But you need at least three to 4% to put down of that purchase price. But with a commercial property, you're going to need at least 20%, yeah. right? 20, 25, 30% of the purchase price you're going to need to put down. So it will require some resources on your part on top of the mortgage that you're going to obtain. So that's important to consider. So start setting some, some money aside. Another thing to consider is that if you're a young person and you want, you're interested in real estate, maybe not as a profession, but you just want to put some money into that as an asset class. Make sure you consider the fact if you buy a home just for occupancy, all right, it's going to be your primary yeah. residence, you're going to be putting a lot of money into that home. And that should be considered part of your portfolio. If you buy a home and then you buy investment property on top of that, just be careful with your portfolio weights. Make sure that you're diversified, right? You don't want to throw it all into a couple of houses and 
one little part of town and expose yourself to shocks to the local economy or something like that. So would you say that most people start off with investing in residential real estate and then move on to commercial real estate? Well, commercial real estate is out of reach for many, many people. You know, how many people walking around out there do you think have the financial ability or capacity to buy a $10 million shopping center? You know, that, that might sound like a lot of money, but some commercial property is several orders of magnitude more costly than that. You know, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars and, you know, some buildings even into the multiple billions of dollars. If you go somewhere like New York City, for example, and, and look at those large towers that are there. So that is pretty inaccessible to not just young people, but to most people. So yeah, I would say most people dabbling in real estate tend to buy smaller properties, single family residences that they lease up, sometimes duplexes or you know three or four unit type apartments. In the world of real estate finance, by the way, you have to pick some arbitrary place where you're going to draw a line and say, above this amount is going to be considered commercial and below that is going to be considered residential. Yeah. And on the financing side, if you're talking about housing, for example, four units or less would be, we would, we would think of that really as residential. Whereas if you have more than that, you get into these apartment complexes. So above four units, then we tend to think of that for the most part as, as being commercial. So it's in this smaller realm where most people do get involved. And then if they really like it and experience, you know, have some good experiences with it, then then some people tend to grow it and and actually go into that professionally to the point where that's that's what they do. Just to end off today, what advice do you have for teenagers about personal finance as a whole? And do you have any resources that you're aware of that could help them? Oh, there are a lot. So with respect to advice, I will throw out there a very simple rule that that might just seem cheesy or overly simplistic get into the habit or the mindset of spending less than you earn. Spend less than you earn. That way you can set some money aside and it will give you the ability to start to invest, whether it's in stocks and bonds or real estate or whatever asset class you're, you're interested in. In order to do that, you need resources. In order to obtain the resources, spend less than you earned. At the same time, one of the tricks to doing that, perhaps you are in a situation where you're comfortable because your parents are comfortable. But when you go out on your own, don't expect to initially continue where your parents left off. Keep in mind that your parents have taken two, three, even four decades to get to the point where they are financially and the lifestyle that they, that they enjoy. So don't expect to start where they happen to be yeah. 20 and 30 and 40 years later. And then realize that time is on your side from a personal finance perspective, right? Time is on your side. Just be patient, be consistent, and let that money that you're setting aside go to work. It will do some pretty incredible things. Now, as far as resources, there are a lot. I think the biggest piece of advice I would have for young teenagers or people in their 20s is make sure that you're getting information from a good source. We are swimming in information now. There's a tremendous amount of information out there, but not all information is good information. So make sure you're looking at the source. I would suggest to many young people that they could take advantage of some university 
resources that are available for free for various universities. So for example, in Canada, McGill University, or in the US, Purdue University, Brigham Young University, Duke University, University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, they all have on their websites free personal finance course material. And some of these universities have it in, in, in a basic format, intermediate format, as well as in advanced formats, depending on where you are in your own uh, development of economic understanding and financial skill sets. So I would go to places like that. And I would avoid places like online discussion boards and social media platforms, yeah, right? such as Reddit, for example. Other good sources of information, there's a whole host of websites by the various government agencies like the Treasury or the FDIC or the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the FTC. All of them have financial education sections on their websites. Another great one would be a website that is put out by a private company that does credit scoring, which is Fair Isaac Corporation. You may have heard of a FICO yeah, score, FICO which score. is a common credit score. There is a website that they have produced. It's myfico.com, and it has all kinds of good educational information, understanding how to build credit, how to be good, wise stewards of the resources that they have. Just make sure you have a good source. I will definitely look into those sources, and I'm sure our listeners will benefit from those as well. So thank you, Dr. Price, for joining us today. I really enjoyed talking to you. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Thank you, listeners, for making time for this conversation. You can also find past episodes and other public affairs programming at WDIY.org and on major podcast platforms. I'm Jay Dikathari, and this is WDIY 88.1 FM. And we'll see you next time on Teen Money Matters. If you enjoyed this program, please go to WDIY.org or the WDIY app to share or become a WDIY member.